0: Hello and welcome to our last episode of the Index Ventures Gaming Summit. After dominating mobile app charts for the past 10 years, Ilka, co-founder and CEO of Supercell, and Sebastian, co-founder and former CCO of King, reflect on their learnings in conversation with Stefan Kurgan from Index. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hi Hilga, hi Sebastian. You know, it's great to see you. Uh, it's a uh, uh, it's a very very special year for for the gaming world and gaming history here because you know this year is the 10th anniversary of uh, Clash of Clans and and Candy Crush. So you know, of course, mobile gaming had been around for a few years before that. We had Snake or Angry Birds, but you know these two titles really have to a large extent made you know mobile gaming what, what, what it is today it's they, they've made mobile the most important gaming platform they've introduced billions of players to the the joy of, of playing games they've largely entered pop culture you know where it, it's still very very present uh everywhere and then they, they've defined the era and hopefully uh uh you know the next era as well like mario or castle wolfenstein or, or warcraft before them so um, you know we are very privileged to to uh, to get the two of you today to uh, uh, to spend some time discussing the last decade and 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 what's what's coming next. So maybe to get started, you know, I w- I would want to ask you what uh, what game you're playing at right now. It's Sebastian. Maybe can you share
1: what what you're playing? Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying this to make Ilka happy, but I'm, I'm playing Clash Quest a lot. But it's mainly because they totally nerfed the game and reset it for me, so I have to play all my way up to the top again. So. Thank you for that ilka that's been my holiday so far
2: okay and ilka what are you playing hey, thanks Sebastian very nice to <laughs> nice to hear that. I'm, I'm playing actually several games right now uh, unfortunately I can't disclose the names and even if I did you guys wouldn't uh, really know of them they are like uh, the next wave of games that we are you know working on and you know a few ones that I'm super excited about in, in, in particular um then those are the games that I spent spend most of my time right. And and what about your kids? What would they be playing?
1: I think my, my son is a gamer but and he plays ma- mainly FPS games. So I think it's Valorant and and Apex and things still where you can play with friends, team based recruiters is his thing. Mm-hmm. And, um,
2: and our kids, well Fortnite I think is the the big big uh, game at our household. Um then uh Roblox uh some, some Minecraft um what else? Then uh, we, together we play a lot of sports games. So I'm a big ice hockey fan and trying to, like, you know, get my geek, one, one easy way to get your kids excited about it actually is to turn on NHL hockey and start to play together. And so we play that, mm-hmm. and of course, FIFA and, and those type of games too.
0: Okay, so maybe a sports title next time. That, that, would, be a, that would be a first. <laughs> um sebastian should we start with with some history you know i i don't know how well the audience know you but you know you were the, the creative force behind candy crush that's really you know your your title and then many other uh, king titles could you take us back to the founding years you know king was founded in 2003 and so way before the rise of facebook and, and the mobile app store
1: so what were the, the key milestones in building king yeah i'll, I'll try to keep it sort of brief, but but it's a long 20-year history, I guess. Um, King King started out having a skill-based platform where we had these web-based Flash games where you would play tournaments uh, for fun and for cash. That was the origin business we started in 2003. Um, And that that was pretty close after the dot-com crash. So we didn't have a lot of funds to build marketing or build the business. So we relied on partnerships with the classic portals to get traffic. That was our foundation of the business. We grew well in Europe, um, worked with AOL, Yahoo, and actually got some good KPIs. We managed to displace our American competitors and take the US Yahoo account as well. I think we became profitable two years in. Uh, We raised some capital, but we didn't really spend that capital. We kept it in the bank. But The big shift in the company happened in 2009. We started to see a big softening in the US. Uh, We saw our portal partners, they lost half their game traffic in a single year to Facebook. That was sort of the start of the social gaming era. Um, And I think the first year we tried to sort of uh, put our heads down and ignored it. And then it started happening in Europe in 2010 and we had to adapt. And, And that was where we sort of realized we had to pivot the company. So we, we decided to go for like parallel development to be able to innovate fast enough. We were sort of late to the Facebook party at that point. We had Zynga, it was already really big. Uh, we tried to build on our own games on we had on the skill platform to go to Facebook. And we started six parallel projects to to crack Facebook. And the last of those six was something the a game I designed called Bubble Saga. That was our first Saga game. And that was the first game we really saw good retention, started to monetize a bit, and, and we could actually market the game profitably on Facebook. So at the time before that, nobody had really marketed their Facebook games. Everybody relied on growth hacking the Facebook platform itself, but they had started to, to block that more and more Facebook. So I think we were the first gaming company to actually market with performance marketing on Facebook for our games. And that allowed us to grow. And I think we then focused only doing the, the Saga format, but multiple games. and. The third game was Bubble Witch Saga. That was a really big first Facebook hit. And, and you could tell because um, a lot of competitors started imitating or copying that game. So a lot of, I guess, flattery, copycatting is flattery, I guess. But that was the game that propelled it to top three position of developers on Facebook. And, and everybody took notice. And then it drifted again when we got our fifth saga game out, which was Candy Crush. That was the game that really took us to the top of Facebook. And at the same time, the mobile landscape started to shift. You, you had the, the mobile platforms, mainly iOS. Android wasn't big yet, but they started to offer free to play mechanics where you actually could do payments within the game. That was a new thing uh, just about when we rolled out uh, Candy Crush and, and these Facebook games. So we elected to go pretty sort of, again, early on a free to play, at least on mobile. And we converted Candy Crush Saga for mobile. And uh, we tried to get the uh, Apple excited about it. Uh, Everybody said you had to rely on Apple promoting your game. It was the only way to grow in in the market. And Apple didn't give us much love when we launched the game. We we were hoping to get big promotion, got nothing. We were sort of pissed off. I remember we worked together then, Stefan. So we we talked over the weekend and and, and we launched uh, the Android version three days later. We had built that in secret, put that out, and we started to do paid marketing instead for the games. And that's really when you saw having a cross-platform game that allowed people to play socially across Facebook, Android, uh, iOS. That's really when it took off. And to to summarize, I think the year 2013, just to put a uh, sort of a milestone out there, I think King bought 32% of all mobile ads in the world that year. We sort of essentially took a third of all mobile banners in the world for Candy Crush Saga. So it tells you how Knew it was uh, doing mobile marketing. Mobile marketing for game was sort of unheard of, but we had the the game and we had the technical capability and the marketing team to do that, and it allowed us to scale. And that's sort of where I think the king, you know, today took off for real. Thank you. Okay, so so Ilka,
0: quite quite a different history, right? So I I, I, I was reading a bit, and I I thought you had started with a uh, uh, mobile directly, but uh, I I read that uh, the, the first title might have been the title before you you move to a focus on iPad. can you tell us more and what drove these decisions
2: sure and before I, I i get into that i have to say that it's it's always fascinating to hear sebastian uh, you know uh, y- explaining the the kind of king history because obviously I've, i i've had the privilege to look at it like, from outside in but it's always like cool to hear how it like looked like uh, you know from from the inside so just a uh, massive respect to what you guys did and yeah I, I do remember year 2013 for for those reasons that you, you just <laughs> mentioned what an incredible growth you guys had there but hey like, so our story so we, we started the company in 2010 and our idea was to uh sort of uh, bring these games that people would play for a very long time um you know we were very much inspired by a game uh, called world of warcraft at, at the time but our idea was to like uh, bring sort of similar type of maybe social experiences uh but cater them towards much wider audience and and you know mobile was always on our plans but at the time so this year 2010 actually like the platform with the widest reach in our view was uh facebook so so and, and browser uh so so therefore we actually started with flash games uh or, or game um for facebook and then also on, on its own individual website a, a flash game and um so that was in 2010 you know we really put the game to be in uh, i think it was february 2011 it was this like a real-time like mmo uh rpg game uh, and uh and unfortunately or maybe fortunately it, it didn't do that well which made us like r- like take a kind of hard look at the strategy and then like from our point of view, we kind of like the uh, Facebook didn't seem like an ideal platform for games anymore at that time, and especially not for the type of games that we wanted to do. And th- therefore, we can kind of start to look for like outside. Um, and this is a, this is late 2011, and you know our background, like uh, in the previous company, was all about mobile. But then you know, and of course, we start to get be we very excited about mobile. But even more so, we very excited about tablets because iPad was a relatively new thing and. And you know, like we, we played a lot of games on iPad and we kind of thought that but, but wow, it's it's actually quite incredible But, you know it doesn't seem to us that, that anybody would have done a great kind of social game experience as we kind of thought about social games um, for, for that platform. And therefore when they start to work on a few titles um, for for the kind of tablets and then later on we of course figured out that okay, it's very easy to kind of port this to smartphones. Uh but anyway, you know, um and, and then like in, in summer two thousand and got super lucky because like we were working on five different games at the time and then we killed three out of those five, but then two uh, games that we actually did release and which went to beta where the first one was Heyday and then followed by Clash of Clans two months later. Uh and, and then of course that then again that was kind of the birth of Supercell as we as we know it today.
0: And and you came uh, much later to Android, if I'm correct, right? You were you you were only available on Apple. Can you tell us a, a bit more about that strategy?
2: Yeah, it was you know it, it's one of the kind of toughest choices that I I feel that we made as a company. So we had a, if you just imagine the situation, we had both Clash of Clans and Heyday, where in the top ten uh, of of um, of iOS grossing top grossing in the US and. And, and, and at some point, Clash then went to be the number one game on on that list. Um, but yet, we kind of felt that these games are sort of unfinished. I mean, of course, games are always unfinished. But we, there were like certain things that we wanted to really, really, you know, add to the games. And and we and we kind of just believed so much in this value of focus that that we, we and we felt that if we now like bring these games also to Android, was, that that will probably slow down the development, and you know, we'll we we'll lose a little bit of focus and. And it actually took a lot of patience and, and and you know, lots of discussions to like really like stay laser focused on iOS and to perfect the game as, as fast as we could on that platform. And we, and we were thinking all the time that at some point then we feel that the game is sort of quote ready, even if the games are never ready uh in, in this day and age. But um but then we thought okay, then we'll we'll bring the game to, to Android. And you know, it got even tougher because of course, you know, all of these copycats started to emerge on the android platform and here we were you know just working on the ios game and and you know lots of people probably thought that oh like the supercell guys like they are letting other people to kind of eat their lunch but then <laughs> finally like when they did bring clash and then later on the other games to, to to android i think you know i i think it was worth the wait so you know the players jumped in immediately and uh, it didn't take long until a clash of clans was number 1 also on on android and i also hated, hated it really well but that was the sort of reason and uh why we conveyed it for, for for so long
0: we were always very envious of the the close relationship and the you know the love shown by apple for for, for many years uh, uh to you guys but now, you know, as you said, right? They, they got to it got to number one on both platforms. So were you expecting, you know, ten years later that they would still be in the top ten? And and if not, you know, what's the most surprising thing about seeing, you know, the the your games still up there, you know, after after so much time?
2: No, I I, I definitely didn't, and we didn't see it coming. I mean, I mean, I mean, who, I mean, who could have seen it? I mean, we just possibly couldn't have realized like what those games have. Turned into, so it's it's just. Uh, I still, I think, I feel I need to pinch myself like almost every single day, um, and and maybe that is the most surprising thing actually. But the, the other thing is that you know, I just feel like extremely grateful and thankful for all the players who were like stuck with us like all of these years, and it really is incredible. And I'm sure like Sebastian has seen this on 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 the Candy Crush and the other Kings title side as well. But it's amazing like how vested you know players really become. these games and the type of like effort that they put in put into them how much they actually care about the work that they've done and 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 also like how passionate they are about them like you know of course you know also in our history when you have like 10 years of history of creating games like heyday and clash of clans you know you know every once in a while you you do an update but that isn't that successful and that players don't like and then you definitely will hear from the players as well but you know that's how how we can think about it is that you know that type of passion it's fundamental it's a fantastic thing and and you know of course like you would always hope that the feedback is positive but even when it's like super harsh and negative at there, at least there is feedback and at least you know it shows that the players really care what you do and you know I, I guess our kind of a nightmare is that you put an update out and and then there's like no reaction no positive and no negative reaction and then that would show that okay the players don't care anymore but maybe yeah, other than the success, the other surprise has been that like, or, or like thing that has I'm really like a taken abyss, it's like how much players really, really care about the community and, and about the game.
1: Yeah, I think we we never saw that coming either the 10-year lasting games. I, I think even when we went to the public markets, I think our plan was about launching eight new games per year <laughs> on top of what we had, which was totally the wrong focus. And and I think we distracted ourselves too much with. The next project instead of investing enough in, in the, the amazing titles we had live it took took a long time to reset that balance for us actually
2: and, and anything you you would have done differently or you wish you had done differently <laughs> i don't know where to start so many things of course um uh, maybe like we want now that we were talking about culture one very concrete thing and maybe this is a good advice to from the other founders is that i i, I still wonder why it you know, given like how much we cared about company culture and how kind of a, we actually were quite systematic about it. You know, we were when we founded Supercell. So we were super inspired by, for example, the Netflix culture, and we spent like hours of time like going through the Netflix culture, like with the founders, and you know, talking about what type of company they want to build. And and you know, that was something that we actually like spent a lot of time as the company started to grow. But ha- but despite all of those things, like for some reason, I never or I I shouldn't say never but it took me like almost 2 years to like kind of write down what our values really were and sort of like formalize them so maybe like we learning for the other founders is that you know it's never too early to kind of think about culture and even if it would sound maybe a bit a kind of corporate or big company thing to do you know I I would encourage people to you know like really like uh, write down the culture and and define the values in a pretty detailed way and I make 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 a very systematic effort in, in doing so, and and then of course you know uh, involve other people in the process. I mean, it's obviously culture shouldn't come down from the CEO. I mean, it's something that everybody is responsible for. But maybe that would be one advice would I would give, and then also like revisit that culture, like you know, probably like not every month, but maybe like every year or every two years or something like that. And Sebastian,
0: what what about building the the lasting gaming company? Anything you would share with founders
1: today? I think it starts, like Ilka like said, ta- talent and culture is where, where it starts for sure. And, and, and then, then then I think it's about allowing people to operate independently, which uh, I think if you're bringing in really senior people, you need to let them operate and, and run and have accountability and, and control. I think we've gone back and forth of over times as we grew, trying to sort of top manage stuff too much and, and it doesn't help and, and you lose some, Good people that way. So so I think it's about if you bring in the talent, you also need to dare to let go and and give accountability to others. And that goes for bringing in strong leaders, but also strong teams and and strong people on on the ground level. Just letting them do what they do best and not interfere too much. If you have the right culture, you can operate very efficiently that way. Mm -hmm. And and anything you would uh, you would do or you would have done differently over the journey. I mean, maybe it's a sort of a bigger topic in itself, but but I mean, I think we did shift our structure because we had to go public. And I think we we sort of knew that we were sort of adding more process and structure that sort of hampered at least the culture and our way of operating historically. And I, I think we didn't probably appreciate the impact that would have longer term and, and uh, act on it to to alleviate that pain. And I think it came back later that we started to become slow in places where we didn't expect to be slow and, and we didn't notice it sort of crept up on us. So uh, I think when, when you know what's working, you, you have to, like Ilke was saying, you have to be actually work pretty hard to protect it as well, because it, it can pretty slowly deteriorate if you're not there every time. Yeah,
0: And then Sebastian... And- you also touched upon it when we discussed the you know the 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 history of king it's not been linear right there were many storms along the way and uh and as we enter what is probably a more challenging environment um you know what what would be lessons that that would be uh, worth sharing with you know gaming uh, gaming founders today as, as they look at the
1: uh, at the outlook no, but 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 i think I mean, we've seen hard times as well. When we had to pivot, we we had uh, the the some board members didn't even believe in us, and and told told by my, myself and Ricardo we were too old and should hire a twenty year old from the West Coast to replace us because we didn't get Facebook. And I think we managed to prove them wrong later, which was a good feeling. But in the end, I think when, when it's Tough. I think it's about focus for me. Sort of. Uh, I think often as things do go well, you start to grow quickly. You might have raised a lot of capital. You sometimes do a lot of things in parallel. You try to do a lot of things, and and when it's tougher, you need to dare to cut off things that are distracting. Whether that's a project you don't need currently, or getting everybody to rally around the same problem is very helpful. And and when you come out of that thing at the tunnel at the end, it actually adds a lot of energy and, and shared. Uh, purpose to the team. So I think the tough times can be quite formative for a company and for a team, uh, but but it needs focus and, and it needs sort of more engagement from, from you as a leader, closer with the teams and, and be a bit more nimble, which means you have to dare to cut off things that are not important right now and distracting. Maybe it's a new market, maybe it's a new technology, maybe, maybe it's too much admin but but look at the things that you can remove that makes it sort of more that makes your day more focused again. Ilka, how do you manage to keep the teams motivated between
0: you know live franchises, which are very important with large, highly engaged player communities and 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 new titles and trying to come up with uh, uh, with great new uh, games for 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 your players?
2: I think it all comes down to hiring the right type of people with the right type of a mindset. So you really like want to hire people who, you know, they uh, ultimately they, they see their role as as, as such that they're being at service for the players, and and if you can have come in with that type of mindset, then you know everybody wants to do whatever is best for the players, and believing that you know that ultimately it's also best for Supercell and of course for them as as individuals. So I you know I I think it's like it's it's all about hiring the right right type of people. I mean there's like I Maybe mean, they are in a creative business, and a lot of that motivation has to come from the inside. Um, and and I, I think there's only so much the leader uh, can do. But, but I think
1: I think also that's shifted over the period we've been operating. I think Elke as well, because when we started launching a game, had a lower barrier for anyone in the market. So a new game team could almost believe that we we can get the game out. And and today, most of the projects you start will be killed. So and and yeah. it takes yeah. a certain psyche to work on three projects over six years and every two years it gets killed and and still think that's fun, right? Yeah. And In in the beginning, you could almost expect if I get to work on a new game, we're going to at least publish it and I can show it to people. It might not be big. In today's world, most projects never get shown to anyone and and it's sort of, it's actually tougher to do new games psychologically than operating a live game.
2: Yeah, I I think that's a great point, actually, uh, Sebastian and... and, uh... And, and I guess, like in in that type of environment and setting, like you really need to get your kind of satisfaction and job satisfaction from you know working with great people, working on a really kind of fun title. And then you know, and and it's it's tough, I know. But then it should almost be like less important, like what the ultimate outcome is. But you should like really like it's a cliche, but you should like somehow enjoy the journey <laughs> more yeah, yeah, than maybe the, the result. Easier said than done, of course.
0: For sure obviously, we've all we've been working in the gaming industry for for a very long time and there is a very strong independent community. Uh, how um, have you managed the tension between um, you know leading the creative teams and and then the, what is the necessary commercialization of 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 the IP or the titles? I mean, as we've seen very recently with Diablo, it's it's not easy
1: to uh, to strike the right balance. Any thoughts you can share that? Uh, no, but, but I think oddly enough, or at least if I state it a bit bluntly, I, I think if you have a strong game, it's not that hard to monetize harder by being a bit evil, or, but, but often that comes at the cost of, of uh, users being disappointed or you're actually starting to lower retention and you're churning players. So for us, uh, outside some of the same ethical thinking of making sure candy was never paid to win, but you could always beat the game without ever paying, and we, we check that diligently. It was also about when we started to evolve the game and A-B testing new ideas that we wanted to make sure any new idea that would improve monetization, it had to be positive on retention and engagement as well. If you just keep adding more and more heavy monetization, you're going to create a bad experience and you're starting to veer off the ethical line probably of, of game design. But of course, you have a lot of people who want to build a business. So it was clear that if we managed for that rule, like, New ideas should always improve the player experience, essentially, and add a bit more retention. You can find features that do both, which was quite interesting to us. We often thought in the beginning that was a a conflict. Either we monetize or we retain. And then eventually we found ideas that proved to both retain and monetize at the same time, whether that's sort of a clan feature or whatever it is. I think with that mindset, I think it became quite natural for people to always think of the player as king making sure the experience gets better and better. And if we do that, we actually build the business that way. It's not a conflict with our players. It's actually in service of them. And I, I think partly it also came from the classic console game industry. They felt that free, freemium game design was evil. <laughs> um, but I think we, to ourselves at least, and to many others, we've proven you can actually create a great game experience and a great business off the bat of that.
0: I mean, we haven't seen either Clash or, or Candy Crush or Oculus or, or the uh, AR/VR platform. Ika, should we should we expect to see <coughs> Clash at, at there at some point or or not? You know, what what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, well, never say never, of course. And and you know, like if there's one thing that it's proven to be true about the games business, that you know, every once in a while there's a big platform shift. So, of course, you gotta be humble and stay open-minded for the time being. You know, however, like as we evaluated these other platforms you know it's just that uh, you know we, we sort of the install base like is, is is maybe isn't quite there if you view it from our perspective so you know maybe a quarter of a billion people play our games every month and from that point of view like we are and what really gets us excited about this is this opportunity to get the widest possible audience to play our games and maybe from that point of view those platforms that you mentioned aren't quite there yet, but of course, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't get there at some point.
0: Okay, very clear, Sebastian. Um, you know, maybe on, on the the other you know major trend right now, uh, which is uh, obviously Web three and 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 crypto. Um, you know, uh, uh, if 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 you were still at king because you have just left, you know, would the Web three keep you up at night,
1: or, or would you sleep soundly? <laughs> Uh, I, wouldn't be, I mean, I've, I've looked at Web3 a lot. I've, I've invested in a few sort of blockchain companies, but I, a lot of the things I've seen on the game space is is not sort of, I, I don't like the, the game design where it's actually more about speculation and, and extracting money again, which I think goes against our structure and I'm sure Supercell's thinking. I do love play to earn as a principle. I love creator economies to build that, but I'm not sure actually what I'm seeing now, you could do that without having to use blockchain and crypto as a foundation. That There are games like uh, Roblox or Stardust way before that, that that actually were play to earn and, and sort of create your economies without having to use blockchain. So I'm, I'm bullish on that design principle of play to earn. I'm, I'm less bullish on Web3 technology right now shifting the la- landscape where you're needing it to shift the landscape. Uh, so it's about having a great user experience and. Often adding web three goes for worse user experience currently. Thank you.
0: And quick fire. Ika, can you run a fully remote successful studio?
2: Well, I probably can't. I'm sure somebody can. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, and and you know, I I think you know there's gonna there's bound to be like very successful remote studios. I'm sure Sebastian would know better, but I I just you know fundamentally I believe that you know there's gonna be people who can do that. And in, and in fact, actually we are. We are currently like thinking about and, and looking at the possibility of opening up a studio in america's and this sort of because our office is based in san francisco we first we, even internally we call it a san francisco studio but these days we just call it the north american studio because we fully believe that it, it will largely la, it, for a large part it probably will be a remote
0: great and uh, uh S- sebastian um, you know, gaming has gone fully mainstream, you know, I mean, it's the largest entertainment category
1: already. Where does it go from here? I, I think it's going to stay big, of course, but, but I, I think what's probably going to keep evolving is our need for social interaction in the games so rather than new technology like AR, VR. I think it's about technology that allows us to play together, interact together. I think that's where that, that really makes gaming stand out as, as an interactive collaborative social experience. Um, so new technologies that allow that, and whether that's a, a metaverse or not, I, I wouldn't dare to say, but I think something things that allow us to operate, I think we've seen things like Discord is much more interesting to me to help people interact in games than, than VR has been so far. And I, I think that trend will continue.
0: Thank you. Look, there was terrific, you know, just last question before, before we part ways. Any fun predictions you you, you you would leave us with, Ilka?
2: There's <laughs> uh, one thing I've learned about our business, is that do not do not make any predictions and never, ever participate panels where the title is the future of games. It's impossible <laughs> to say.
0: Okay, I, I think that is an answer. Sebastian?
1: No, these are dangerous, but I think there's going to be some massive play to, my belief is going to be some massive play to earn games coming in the future that won't necessarily be built on Web3. Awesome. That's my hope. Or well, otherwise I, I that, have to prove it myself. We'll see.
0: Uh, well, well, we'd love to see that. Uh, guys, this was fantastic. Happy anniversary, you know, 10 years. Uh, that, that was, that, that's been a fantastic decade, and I'm, I'm sure there are many more ahead of us. So thank you again. And, um, you know, I'm thanking the the audience here. I hope you you had fun um, and have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this series. Follow us at Index Ventures to stay up to date as we bring together entrepreneurs, operators, and investors to discuss how technology will change the way we live and work. Until next time.